Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Persist podcast. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by Nilofor Amadi, who is a refugee case manager and a UCR alum. So we've known each other for a couple years. And as you know, uh, this is a very exciting interview because you're someone who attended the Persist Women's Political Engagement Conference as a student, and we're obviously inspired to move into the political arena. In a short time since you've graduated from UCR, you've had some pretty impressive roles. Please tell us about yourself, your experience at UCR, and what motivated you to get into political and community engagement work. Well, it's great to talk to you again, Denise. I've always looked up to you um, and the work that you've done with the Women's Resource Center. Um, So I'm, I feel very, I feel very lucky to be here. Um, Yeah, I, I was, I did attend the first Persist conference and the second, and I think the third, or maybe it was just the first two that I attended. Um, And those were really, those were exciting experiences because it was the first time that I was introduced to other women in like involved in the political space I mean it's one thing to read about it on the news like oh this female representative or this female senator female vice president and then there's another to actually see it in person Mm -hmm. and get a grasp of it especially as someone who does not see themselves in in the political space as a woman of color Mm -hmm. Um, there aren't many of us out here so it was refreshing to see folks like Fiona Ma and Connie Leva and uh, uh, and Elise Reyes, like all speaking in person, like, oh, these are, this is real. This is tangible. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, um, I graduated from UCR in 2019. And right after I graduated, I hopped on the presidential elections. Um, I worked for the Warren campaign and then following Warren, I uh, joined Biden in Nevada and helped run field for a congressional race. And then I just spent some time with the DCCC, which is this committee that works on funding um, and like making sure that the house stays blue. Um, I was with their finance team. But now I am finally doing work that I've always wanted to do, uh, which is work with the Afghan community here in California and help with immigration. It's a great segue into talking about, you know, your work on the Elizabeth Warren campaign. It was really exciting for us in the Women's Resource Center at UCR because we were watching your updates and it was wonderful that you were able to send us even some posters from the presidential campaign trail. We, we value that very much. Um, tell us about your experience working as a campus and field organizer for Elizabeth Warren for president and tell us how you landed that role. Yeah, um, so I had zero connections to the camp, and I actually applied when I was in the Women's Resource Center. <laughs> it was like in April, and I thought to myself, you yeah, know, this is a long shot, but I'll apply. But I'll apply, and it was literally at one of the at one of the computers that I just submitted an application. A couple of weeks later, I heard back, and. Then I started the interview process Um, and my then colleague, now now person who's working at the Women's Resource Center, um, Katie, 
she helped me through the questions and what to expect. Yeah, she was a fantastic resource um, because I was able to, I ended up getting the job. Yeah, um, and that's amazing. We were so excited when you told us about getting that job. And and I know it was, it feels like a long time ago at this point because we've been living through this pandemic. Um, but yeah, I remember seeing Elizabeth Warren when she came to Southern California, and I remember the excitement around her campaign, right? And there's obviously been very few women who've been taken seriously on the presidential election stage. Um, yeah. So tell, tell us more about what that was like working for her in the campaign. Well, one, it was one of the funnest things I've ever done in my life. Um, it's just like going door to door, talking to people about about issues that matter to them and hearing why people voted the way they did. I mm-hmm. think that's really fascinating. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I will say the number one thing that I heard when I was going door to door when people said that they weren't going to be voting for her was that they didn't think a woman could beat Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And they would add clarifiers and say, you know, she's a real smart gal, but I just don't think the country is ready for, for, for a female president. And it's like, well, she's not electable unless you vote for her. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> you just gotta just vote, you know? So that was, that was very frustrating. And not only was she a woman, she was a progressive candidate and progressivism and like leftist politics has, has luckily been growing a lot more over the past few years, but it's still, it's, we're still a minority, even within the party, within, mm-hmm. within democratic um, representative. So not only was she a female, she was a progressive. So, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But nonetheless, a really inspiring campaign and um, how fantastic that you got to be a part of that. And now the work that you're doing is so timely and relevant and important. And I'm excited to hear more about this critical work that you're doing as um, a refugee case manager. I know this is a fairly new role for you, but tell us about the about the work and um, how you got involved in that. Yeah, so a little bit about me. Uh, my parents are refugees from Afghanistan. They came in the early 90s. So I've always been interested in politics and history because it helps it helps me understand how my family got here and wh- why we can't travel back and visit my grandma and family easily. So, so yeah, my friend, she has been doing refugee work here in San Diego County. And she goes, Milo, we're expecting like we're expecting a big influx of Afghan families and there's a humanitarian crisis going on if you're um, if you weren't aware in in the country mm-hmm. um, the Taliban has now taken over since since the U.S. has left and the Afghan government that was placed by the U.S. fell immediately mm-hmm. um, so it felt so when my friend told me about the position I thought like this is the most important thing I should be doing um it was the same feeling that I felt when I was applying to Warren's campaign and working on the campaign trail was it felt like the most important thing that I could be doing and I'm grateful that I'm in a position now where I'm able to finally mix my my passions and interests together um so so yeah I'm super new to the role I'm still in training for a couple of weeks until I finally have cases where I'm going to be helping people find jobs, um, helping connect them to like government, uh, like, like social services, 
um, daycare, transportation, diapers. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very excited to be working with family. It sounds like an amazing opportunity. I'm so glad that you got connected and that you're in a position to to truly help. I can't wait to hear how this goes. And congratulations again on the new role. Thank you. And you've been, yes, of course, you've been busy uh, since college traveling for different, really interesting, meaningful roles in the political arena and, and otherwise. Tell us a bit what that's been like, especially since, you know, there's been a pandemic that we, we've lived through as well. Yeah, it's been a lot. It's, it's been a, it's been a lot. Um, I think transitioning from knocking on doors to making phone calls from my home was a very big shift. And I just, the pandemic in itself, like, I mean, we, we are never going to go back to a pre-pandemic world. Um, And that is a lot to take in. And the world has drastically changed since I graduated two years ago. So yeah, I'm just taking it day by day. Yeah, I mean, that that statement in itself is powerful, that we're never going back to a pre-pandemic world. That has a lot of weight to it, as you say it. And um, you're absolutely right. Our whole uh, lives have been changed dramatically. Yeah, the, the trajectory of the election cycle changed. It went from not just beating Donald Trump, but making sure that we have a president that was going to take on the pandemic so as seriously as it ought to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we are nearly a year into, um, or not nearly a year, but a few months into the Biden presidency. And, and yeah, here we are. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been quite the time we have all collectively been living through and really hard, as you know, from a policy standpoint, especially because this public health crisis has been politicized in really, really sad and problematic ways. But yeah, that's that's the challenge of being involved in politics is having to stay above the fray, right, and focus on what's important and, and literally saving lives, right? Yeah, I mean, the people that are saving lives are the frontline workers, our nurses, our social workers, our EMTs, our doctors, everyone who is there, like seeing it for themselves. Yes, and just like major gratitude for all of those people um, that you just mentioned. Yeah, they're they're doing heroic work and uh, we're, we're all so much better for it. Absolutely. Um, Shifting gears a bit, you and I have talked over the years about imposter syndrome, and I've seen a lot of social media critiques lately about imposter syndrome and how we should actually be reframing it as a critique on the unrealistic and unfair expectations placed on women, uh, especially especially women of color. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, (laughs) there's something that I've told my interns and people that I've like just like like spoken to about work in general has been if you think if you see a job that you really want and you you hesitate to apply because you're worried that you're unqualified, ask yourself, what would what would a white man do? Would he apply? The answer is probably yeah. <laughs> you know, probably regardless, because with a lot of jobs, you learn on on the job. 
being able to show that you have the capacities and willingness to learn, I think, goes such a long way. But circling back to how we should reframe it as a critique, I think it imposter syndrome is very real. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very real. I've seen too many of my non-male colleagues doubt their capacities when I see them doing exceptional work. People who um, are field organizers for several cycles because they don't think that they have the capacity to be in leadership. It's like, no, you know better than most of the people. Like people on the ground know, I think, a lot better than consultants. Uh, <laughs> so I, so yeah, I think it, it's tough, but it's important to, it's important to remember that you are you are where you are for a reason um with as long as you work hard and show the initiative to to learn that will get you far um and and yeah there are a lot of unrealistic and unfair expectations placed on women especially specifically women of color um I have dealt in the past with situations where my opinions were invalidated or they weren't taken as seriously as some of my non-people of color counterparts. Mm-hmm. And that is very frustrating, but I'm grateful for the communities that I did find in my workspace as well. I'm grateful for for the for the community that I found in um in my friends and fellow like people of color in the space. Yeah, that's super important, right? Building community and and feeling, you know, like you have a community to be there to support you is really important. And I and I see shifts happening in the workplace, but not quickly enough, right? By and large, most workplaces are still, you know, places where, as you described, um, white men are the ones who are thriving, right? And so it's good that there are initiatives that are more focused on real diversity, equity, and inclusion. But yeah, we need to we need to hurry this process up. Right. I mean, I think one way that we could hopefully make imposter syndrome a thing of the past is once we have people that look like that, that look like the, like the, like population. Mm-hmm. Um, once it's like more representative, then hopefully maybe imposter syndrome won't be as prevalent, but well, we'll see about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. To be continued. Going back a little bit, I know we talked a bit about political campaigns, and and I know that you've been very interested in volunteering at the local level. Please talk to us a bit about why it's important for people to get involved in local campaigns, not just presidential campaigns. Oh, because more change happens at home when you have conversations with your neighbors, when you have conversations with your family. Um, Mm -hmm. That's those are oftentimes the most the most challenging conversations you can have, like with your with your father who, you know, might say things differently or your uncle who just won't wrap his head around a certain a certain topic. But that is where change happens. It happens at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and in order to make change at the national level, you need to you need to be able to unify people. And that starts at home. You know, it's not it's not like this. It's not like trickle down. It's not like the trickle down system. Um, it's it ought to be grassroots, and I think it's the most authentic when it's grassroots. I love how you put that. You're absolutely right. Change does start at the local level. And it's been great on this show to have so many local elected officials and people working in nonprofits at the local level, you know, really reflect on how meaningful and and moving and important that work is. Uh, And you're right. It starts with your family. It starts with your neighbors. That's, That's how we change hearts and minds. And that's how change happens. 
It's, it's also, I think, the most intimate way to make change is at the local level. When you actually know your neighborhood, when you know the people like the people at the mosque, when you know their stories and why they vote a certain way. Like mm-hmm. that something that, that has happened over the past few years is politics has become national, right? With social media and the digital age, a lot of campaigns have become like national campaigns, even though they're for certain areas. Like the fact that some of us know of the senator in Massachusetts and his campaign against Joe Kennedy um, last year um, mm-hmm. or something of the sort. Um, I think it I think it highlights something that's been very unique to the to the digital age. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also like we sometimes lose sight of like of what's going on at home. Um, so I think it's really important for us to just look out the window and see what's going on there instead. Definitely. Yeah, I agree. And I think the the results of the 2016 presidential election really were a wake up call to a lot of us um, and to people who really hadn't thought about the importance of local, like starting in your local grassroots community, right, and, and making change happen there and getting involved in politics at the local level. It's been, yeah, it's been good to see people start to understand politics at every level is important, not just who's in the White House, but every every person and entity below that as well. Yeah, and I think we also saw that with the 2018 midterm elections as well. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, we, we took back the House and it was it was a movement. It was a collective movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and so, yeah, I hope people keep that same level of of stamina um but i think we saw that change a little bit in 2020 as well yeah i agree in 2018 was so exciting especially as we're talking about this local region right this inland southern california region i think we had a record breaking number of women run for office and win and, and it's great to have these women all across southern california like mostly you know a lot of young women women of color lgbtq women like it's it's really encouraging to see who ran for office in 2018 and how the dynamics have shifted at the local level as a result yeah, I, I completely agree. It was um, it was great watching it as a student in like public policy. Absolutely. And speaking of students, we always end our show with the same question. Um, and I'm excited to hear your advice. So the question is, if you could give one piece of advice to our listeners, especially college students thinking about getting involved in the political arena, what would that be? It would be find something that really excites you and start asking, how can I get involved? Um, something that I learned, especially as a woman of color, was people weren't, people were not approaching me to be like, oh, you know, have you, have you heard of this internship? Did you know that this professor is going to be, um, is looking for, for research assistance? I didn't have anyone to, to mentor me. I'm also like a a first generation college student or was a first generation college student. So I didn't have family that could really guide me. Um, in my career, no one did politics. My family scorned politics because of how corrupt it is. Like we had to flee, they had to flee their homeland because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say find something that really excites you and start asking how you can get there. Send cold emails, send, leave voicemails, um, go to people's office hours and ask. Um, and if there isn't an opportunity available, see if there's a way that you can make that opportunity a thing. 
Um, there's research grants on campus. Like there are professors that are willing to work with students. Um, and there are resources like the Women's Resource Center where you can talk to people about what, what a career could, could look like. Um, so, so yeah, just don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to, to bug people. You're not bugging them. You're giving them a, you're giving them an opportunity to open a door, um, and help you do good work. Thank you for that great, thank you for that great advice and for that plug of the Women's Resource Center. You're absolutely <laughs> We are here to help uh, UCR students, if you're listening, uh, come and talk to us in the Women's Resource Center. We'd love to be of support to you. And Nilofar Amadi, thank you so much for this powerful interview. It's it's so impressive and exciting to see your trajectory in just a few short years post UCR. And uh, I can't wait to see where you go from here. Thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you so much, Nilofar. The Persist podcast is hosted by me, Denise Davis, director of the UCR Women's Resource Center, and is produced by Rosa Tejeda and the staff in the UCR Women's Resource Center. Check out our Instagram pages for links to more episodes at UCRWRC and at UCR Persist. If you'd like to sign up for our newsletter, please email us at wrc at ucr.edu. We hope that this podcast inspires you and those around you to get involved in the political arena because we know that who is at the table absolutely matters. Finally, if you have any ideas for who a future guest should be on the podcast, feel free to reach out and let us know.